Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. So, uh, this, uh, as John mentioned, we're starting a new series. I think how appropriate for the new year, right? Every year uh, around this time, everyone uh, recommits to doing what they messed up last year, right? Or going back and just keeping, keeping life simple. You know, I'm going to eat right or exercise once or twice or, you know, three times a week. Whatever the case may be. And we know it's good for us to do those things. And, and sometimes even in the Christian life, you're like, you know what? This is a year I'm going to, you know, commit to do some kind of religious exercise. And, and all those things are good. But is that really what makes us a Christian? Over the, over the next 12 weeks, we're going to kind of go back to the basics and take a break from doing a, a book study, which we'll get to after Easter, because this is a 12-week study, and then, well, believe it or not, it's going to be Easter by that time. hate to move 2021 along so quickly. But we're going to take some time to just sit and go through some topical studies on the Christian life. You know, how do we do the Christian life? You know, we talk about praying and we talk about Bible study and giving and all sorts of things. And what is what really does that mean? How do how do we do those things that, you know, are taught about on a weekly basis? But before we do that, I want to go back to just real basics on the Christian life. And that's what this morning's topic is. And ask the basic question, what is it when we say that you're a Christian? What does that mean? Does it mean that you go to church? Does it mean that you pray? Uh, is, does it mean that you're a good or moral person, or you try to be? Or are you Christian on Sundays for a few hours? Or is being Christian something that you believe, not necessarily something that you do? You know, I believe in God, so that makes you a Christian. Or you believe in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, a set of religious doctrines do all these things make you a believer or do none of these things make you a believer? If you're confused, don't worry. Uh, our society also is confused. I was reading a, a Gallup study in 2016. This, this poll was taken and 74% of American citizens polled identified as Christians. So does that mean the United States, 74% of the people that live in the United States are Christians. What does that mean? Because that same poll also said that only 56% claim to be a member of a church, a mosque, or a synagogue. So the Christians in that poll are less because the, the poll that says the membership, they're talking about Muslims, Jews, and Christians. So how much of that poll, the 56%, were actually people that are part of church? I mean, just think of those people that you know who say they're Christians. And do they really portray what they, that they're Christians? Or even you might ask yourself, am I really a Christian? So don't worry. We're going to kind of dispel the confusion, right? And part of that confusion is the church's fault. I'll be the first to admit. Sometimes churches espouse bad doctrine, have bad teachings about what it means to be a Christian, and not only that, sometimes Christians have a, a horrible testimony where someone would go, if that's what a Christian is, then I want no part of that. And sometimes it's just a misunderstanding of what a believer is. And sometimes societal norms change. You know, what people thought was Christian, a Christian was a long time ago has changed even today. And, and society starts to determine what's a Christian and what is not a Christian. Or at least they think they do. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to go back to the basics and we're going to look at what the Scripture says and let Scripture determine what God says is a believer, which obviously, as we believe, is are Christians. So my prayer this morning as we go through this morning's sermon is, is threefold because this doesn't apply to all of us because all of us are in different places in the Christian life or lack thereof. So for some this morning... I hope that after you hear what a Christian is, you will be moved by the Spirit of God to live the Christian life. That would be the first 
hope. This is my prayer this morning. The second one is that some of you who are Christians will be reminded of what your commitment means. What it means, again, this commitment that I've made to follow Christ and live this Christian life. And thirdly, I pray that some of you will be comforted and encouraged by the promises of God to those who live the Christian life. So that's my goal this morning as we go through this. But before we do that, before we talk about what a Christian is, I guess the first question maybe some people might ask is, why would we even want to be a Christian? That's foundational. Why is there even that option? Or why do we have to even decide if we want to be a Christian? And in order to discover that, we need to start at the very beginning. So for those of you that are doing the Bible through a year, you've already read this because you're on, what, day three of the new year. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The majority of our text will be in Luke, but we'll get there in a few moments. Because we're going to start at the very beginning. And again, each of you, I want you to ponder this. Because even those of us who are believers had to ask ourselves this question or answer this question. Why would we want to be a Christian? And the first answer is this, and I'll read the text in a moment. But the first answer is this, is that we were created with and for purpose. So we were created with a purpose and for a purpose. The very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. We've all maybe familiar with this. But from the very outset, of the, to answer this question is, why would we even want to be Christians? Because we were created by God with purpose. God is your creator. God determined the rules. God determined how things are to be and how to operate in human history. If you think about it, I don't know how many of you received maybe a, a game this Christmas, right? Uh, the first thing you have to do if you've never played it is what? Read the rules, right? Well, those of us that are like, hey, we have to read the rules. We don't just start playing and play incorrectly, right? The same thing with life. God has set some rules. If you go about doing it incorrectly, you're going to run into trouble. You're going to be doing it wrong. And so again, I didn't make these rules on how life is to be led, and this is why we're going to back to the beginning. Is we have to understand it's a foundational truth that God created this world, and He created this world with purpose. He also created you with purpose. If you drop down to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, so not only did He create the world, but He also created man and woman for a purpose. Genesis 1, verse 26, says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So not only did God create the world, but God created men and women. And he created man and woman in his image. In the Latin, and you might have heard this term, it's called the imago dei, the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Therefore, God created you and me, and he created us for a purpose. And if we continue to read through Genesis, we would see the purpose of his uh, design, which was to rule over the earth, to have relationships with one another. And something that's very important to, to know about this is God created us not to be God, but He says in His likeness, which basically means in the likeness of the Creator. We are to represent God in creation. We are separate from all other created beings, and we are God's representation to the world. Just like He is separate from all other beings, 
We are separate from all other beings. I think that's what it's talking about when it says in his image or likeness, the imago dei. So we are to live, that means we are to live in this world in such a way that represents God, the one whose likeness and image we bear. So we were created with and for purpose. We didn't just happen to show up on the scene as many would believe. Right? We believe there is a purpose, there is an order for things. And God was the creator of the world. God created mankind in his image. And as I mentioned already, he created us for a purpose. And that purpose is to have communion with him and to glorify him. Matter of fact, in the first uh, Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul highlights this specific purpose, in talking about the believer, he says, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all in the, for the, do all to the glory of God. So we are to have communion with God as Adam and Eve did, or were created to have, and we are to glorify God because we are His representation on this earth. So those are the rules that God set. Right? Not everybody abides by them, and obviously not everybody agrees to them. And as you can see, when that happens, we have chaos in the world. Going back to my example of the board game, if you go and don't follow the rules of a board game, and you start making up your own rules, you, you're not playing it the way the designer wanted you to play it, and therefore it's not right. There's no such thing as house rules. Like if you play Monopoly, a lot of people have house rules and they mess the game all up. That's one that's simple to remember. But there's, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. We have to play by the rules. We have to give a do life the way God intended it to be if you want to be uh, blessed by God and experience God's blessings. Now again, obviously, doesn't mean you have to do that because you don't. And we see examples of that in our own lives and the lives of those around us and in the lives of human history. When people do not follow God, what happens? But again, we're saying, what is a Christian? This is what Scripture says. This is what Scripture defines is a believer and how to walk this Christian life. So why do we want to be a Christian? Well, again, because we were created with and for purpose. Right? If, if God created you, then in order for you to be uh, fully, um, to enjoy God's blessing, you have to know what He wants you to do. He's got a purpose for each and every human being that has ever existed. And the question is, are you going to seek out that purpose, live that purpose, or are you going to reject that purpose and do what you want? The problem comes from the very beginning and the outset about why we want to be a Christian. We are created for God and for a purpose. And the problem is this, is that we were created to have communion with God, but guess what? Our communion with God has been broken. It's fallen apart. So the reason we want to be a Christian is because we want to have that communion with God restored. So why do we want to be a Christian? One, because we were created with and for purpose. Secondly, to have our communion with God restored. Sin, from the very beginning, as you know, if you continue to read in Genesis, sin by Adam and Eve brought brokenness to this world. It started the descent of God's creation. But don't just blame Adam and Eve. You could also blame yourself. Because our sin has broken our communion with God. We didn't need Adam and Eve to do it. We, we, do, we do find ourselves in breaking our communion with God. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So each and every person that has ever existed has sinned against God. Therefore, they need their communion with God restored. And so in order to do that, you have to become a Christian. And that's the only way, as we'll see in a few moments as we continue on. So to have our communion with God restored, because it has been broken, 
we'll see what God does to do that. So what does it mean that, hey, so my, so I've sinned against God, so what? I mean, what's the big deal? Nobody's perfect, right? Well, unfortunately, our sin leads us to physical and spiritual death. If you read the rest of Romans, if you drop down, actually, you should just turn to the book of Romans because we're going to be here in a few moments. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Turn there with you. Romans 6.23 says this. We're just going to look at the first sentence in Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death. See, our sin brings death. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they brought death to this world. Physical death and spiritual death. And so you and I, also when we sin, we follow that road. Our sins bring physical and spiritual death. We are all headed to death, both physical and spiritual. So in order to have our communion with God restored, we need somehow to fix that because that is the outcome of each and every person's sin is it leads to spiritual death. But the good news is on the second half of that verse of Romans 6.23. Let's look at that one more time. Again, for the wages of sin is death. And then here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God restored that communion that is broken by our sins, by Adam and Eve's sins. God restores that communion with himself by sending, as we've been celebrating over the past few weeks through Christmas, by sending Jesus to pay the price for our sins. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, it says this, But God demonstrated His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, even though the communion with God has been broken, God sent His Son to restore that communion with Himself. That's what Jesus came for, to restore that communion that we broke and that we could not restore ourselves. And because of that, we are now made righteous with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what's known as the great exchange where Jesus takes our sin upon himself and becomes sin and we take upon his righteousness and become righteous in God. This is how God corrected our sin. God corrected our communion. And this is what we sing and praise God for because he saved us. It was all God and none of us. Our communion has been restored by God. So again, the the first question that I ask is, why would we want to be Christians? And again, it's because we were created with and for purpose, but our communion with God needed to be restored because it was broken and God came and restored that for us. And unless you take upon this righteousness that God has for us, then you cannot live the Christian life. So it starts right there, right? So you the questions I asked at the very beginning, do you go to church and you read your Bible and you believe in God, does that make you a believer? Well, yes and, and no. It depends what you mean by those things or why you do those things. Because it is really what God has done for us and as an outgrowth, we do all those other things in appreciation for God. And we're going to talk about those things over the next 12 weeks and we'll touch on them here and there and you're going to hear them repeated because again, they're foundational So the first thing that we need to get is this, is that, again, our communion with God has been broken. And it wasn't until he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins that it can be restored once again. And again, that is the great exchange. So, again, if you want to be a Christian or why you want to be a Christian is for that, to have your communion restored with God. 
And no doubt there's many that say, well, I don't want it restored. And that's their choice. But I'm just telling you, here are the rules set for this world, for this life, for your life. You either abide by them or you don't. And there's consequences if you do not. Going back to Romans 5, 8 and 10, I want to, I want to stress this one point again. It says, God demonstrated his, un, his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the point I want to make. Much more having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. If you're in communion with God now, you are saved from the coming wrath of God that will come upon this earth and upon every person. It is a harsh truth that Christians believe that there is a place called hell. And guess what? Because of our sins, we are all going there unless we experience the restored communion with God through this great exchange. Now, you could say you believe that or not, but these are the rules of the game. There is heaven or hell. There is no in-between. There is no second chance. This is the way God made the rules. You can say you don't like it, and that's fine. You're not going to follow it, but that doesn't make it not true. And I literally hope that scares the hell out of you. Get it? The pun. Sorry for my son that had to hear that. Dad said hell. If it's used in the correct theological sense, it's okay. I do hope that you understand that hell is real and you're like, I don't want to go there. It wasn't designed for us. It was designed for the devils and his demons are the angels who rebelled with him. But God says, unless you take upon my righteousness, then you will suffer the wrath of God. And I wouldn't be a faithful minister of the gospel if I didn't tell you that. That's the truth. The harsh reality. And nobody will be to blame for that when you stand before God and, say, and you rejected this offer of salvation that He offered to you because you didn't like it, you didn't want to do it, for whatever, whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. Again, this is the rules that God ordered the world by. And that's the choice. So that's why we would want to be a Christian. So with that said, the second question is this. How do we become a Christian? If all, since all these things are true, not if. Since these things are true, how do we become a Christian? How does the knowledge of this great exchange become a reality in our life? How do we go from, okay, I understand it, to embracing it? Staying in Romans, drop down to chapter, turn to chapter 10. And let's look at verses 9 through 10. So how do, how do we become a Christian? How does this knowledge, again, of this great exchange become a reality in our life? Well, the Apostle Paul writes this. It's pretty simple. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you, if, excuse me, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So number one, how do we become a Christian? Quite simply, according to this verse, confess Jesus as our Lord. That word confess means to acknowledge to agree or to consent. So you're giving your acknowledge, your consent, you're, you're uh, agreeing. So you're not just saying it, you're actually agreeing, as it says with your whole heart, that Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? Does that mean that he's just you know some guy that you honor, like he has a high position? Well, that word Lord actually means master or the one whom you belong to. So you're actually agreeing and consenting or acknowledging that Jesus is your personal master or the one to whom you belong to. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Everyone likes Jesus as the Savior, right? We like Jesus as Savior. 
He forgives my sins. It's the Lord part that our pride resists. I don't want to call somebody my master because you know what that implies is that you're giving that person your entire being. You're saying that they are higher than you. And that's exactly what it means to be a Christian is you're confessing, you're acknowledging, you're consenting to Jesus as your master, the one to whom you belong. I was trying to think of a great example of this, and this is the the evil side of it, but those of you that are Star Wars fans would understand this. In Star Wars 3, the actual 1, 2, 3, not Star Wars 6, Star Wars 3, when Anakin, sorry to get away, becomes Darth Vader. You guys remember that scene? He falls before the emperor in submission and acknowledges the emperor that I will do I'm going to get, I got the the lines wrong already, but you get the point. He basically, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'm yours now. I'm submitting, you're my master. You're going to tell me how to live. That's a great example, although an evil one, of what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord. You're saying, I belong to you. So that's the number one part. We're going to elaborate on that in a few moments about what it means to confess or what that looks like. So how do we become a Christian? Number one, confess Jesus as Lord. Number two, believe in the salvific work of Christ. That's the second part of Romans 9 or 10, 9 and 10. You basically, you're believing in the the work of salvation that God did for you. That's the salvific work of Christ. You're believing that He came and died for your sins on the cross and has given you salvation. You believe that. And that word believe doesn't mean to just say, yeah, I acknowledge that. It means to, again, similar to confess, it means to think that it is true, to agree, to trust. I trust in the salvific work of Jesus Christ. That he died for me. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead. You truly believe that. And it says you believe with your heart, meaning your entire being. Right? When heart, usually when referred to in scripture, is talking about the whole man. So with your entire being, you believe this. You believe with your entire being the truth that Jesus died for your sins, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. And not only that, you believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. Look at Romans 10, uh, 9 again, because I think it's important. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a necessary Belief for salvation. So when you say you believe in Jesus, you're not just believing that He is Lord, you're also believing in His salvific work, which means His death, burial, and resurrection. On top of that, verse 10 says, at the end, at the beginning, it says, for with the person, excuse me, with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So part of right belief also is a call to action. There's a result of your belief. It's just not an intellectual understanding of it. There's some action behind it, as according as verse 10 says, resulting in righteousness. Not only you being right with God, but you living right. Truth is. True belief results in action. If you truly believe something, then you act upon it. You do what you say you believe. It has an effect on you. So true belief results in righteous living and salvation, which is the application of God's work. You see, so far, none of this has to do with going to church, Bible study, worship. It's all God. Your part is believing in Christ and accepting Him as your Lord, acknowledging Him as your Lord. There's one more thing that I want to touch on in regards to how we become Christians. And that can be found uh, in Acts. So turn one book 
from Romans, one book to the left, look at the second to last chapter in Acts 26. And Paul is given an account of his conversion to one of the Roman leaders. And it's this. So this is how you become a Christian as well. It means not only confession and belief, but repenting from your sins and turning to God. Look at Acts 26, verse 19. So King Agrippa, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. So he had a vision from God. And this was his response. There was right action. He says, but kept declaring to those in Damascus first and also to Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles. So Paul was saying after he believed, he was preaching the gospel. This was the action in his life. And look at what he told them to do, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So part of becoming a believer here, according to the Apostle Paul and many others, we, we don't have time to look at every verse, is that you need to repent from your sin. So it's not just a verbal acknowledgement. It's not just a total submission, but it's also repenting of your sins, meaning acknowledging that you've sinned before God and that you see your sins as God sees them. There's a turning from your sins and a turning to God. So acknowledging and agreeing you have sinned against God, just as Romans 3.23 says, right, that all have sinned and fall short of, far short of the glory of God. We have to understand it and agree to that, that I've sinned against you, Lord. I've lived, you know, my life in rebellion against you, and it's wrong, and the things that I've done are wrong. That's what true repentance is. You're agreeing with God, and you see your sins as He sees them. So there's a repenting and turning from your sins and you are turning to God according to the Apostle Paul. Right? Again, in verse 20, in Acts verse 20, he says, I just want to read it one more time. Or not verse 20. Where was I? Yeah, verse 20. 26, 20. He says at the very end that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Again, there's action that follows your belief. Turning to God means living for God in a way, as he says here, appropriate to repentance, that lines up with what you say you believe. Again, believing encompasses action. It's just not an intellectual consent to believe something. So how do we become Christians? We know why we should, to restore our relationship with God. But how do we do it? Again, those three things. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Believe in the salvific work of Christ. Repent from your sins and turn to God. And so now we're going to close by looking at what it means to turn to God and answering that question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like the Christian life, what is it? Okay, we have this intellectual knowledge and this intellectual understanding and we confess and we believe in the salvific work of Christ and we repent and turn to God, I want to focus on that turning to God part now as we close this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, number one, as we said, it means believing Jesus as your Savior, right? We get that. He did all the work for us. The second part, and we're going to focus on this, is believing Jesus is your Lord. And I already mentioned what Lord meant, meaning your master. What does that mean when you say Jesus is your master? Well, this is where we're going to conclude our study in the Gospel of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to go through a few verses in developing what it means to follow Jesus as your Lord. Jesus lays out some very hard sayings to those who would desire to follow him. Jesus, uh, Luke 14, starting verse 25. Just to give you some context on this. So Jesus had been performing very many miracles, and a lot of people were following him. Big crowds of people were following him. 
And Jesus knows because he's God that they're following him for the wrong reasons. And unlike modern day pastors, he wants to minimize those people that are following him. Why? Because he wants people to follow him for the right reason. To truly, and to truly understand what it means to follow Christ. Not just have a big crowd. It's not just about getting people in the church. It's about getting people to follow Christ. That's the important part. And you know what? If you were to, if we were to give this message, which I'm giving today, probably not a lot of people would attend your church. Because these are some hard sayings. And they're hard sayings because Jesus is trying to get the attention of those people who are following for the wrong reasons. And this morning, I, I want you, I want to grab your attention as well because I want you to truly understand what it means to follow Christ, to be a Christian. And so in Luke chapter 14, um, let's start at verse 25. And look at what he says. He says, now large crowds were going along with him. So again, he had large crowds with him. And he turned them and said, this is what he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How's that for a gospel message? You know what? You cannot be a believer if you don't hate your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, your wife, who else? Your sisters and brothers, and your own self. Who wants to follow Jesus? That's pretty much what he was saying. And he said that again to get, whoa, what? What did you just say? You said I have to hate my mom? I have to hate my wife? I have to hate my brothers and sisters? What is Jesus talking about? Because we know Scripture tells us to what? Love, our, honor our mother and father, to love our wives, to love our children, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what is Jesus talking about? Right? He's trying to make a point. He's trying to get their attention. And when he says this, it doesn't mean that they don't love him. It's really a degree of love, that you have to love Christ more than is what he's saying. Because in another gospel, it actually says that. So when we follow the Lord again, again, I want to, before we get to that point, again, I want to stress what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. Again, He's your master. You're consenting to follow Him. You're giving your life for Him. And He uses this illustration in Luke chapter 14. Now, when he says to follow Jesus as our Lord, again, when he says, come to me, in verse 25, or verse 26, if anyone comes to me, that's talking about salvation. If your desire is to follow Christ, to make a decision for the Lord, then these are the things you must do. He says, number one, we love the Lord, and this is the point. We follow, so let me back up, sorry. Believing in Jesus as Lord is this, that we belong to the Lord, right? He's our master, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? This is speaking of believers. For you have been bought with the price Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you are a believer this morning, your body and your life is not your own. You no longer have the right to do what you want to do with it first. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Because you've given it up to God and you're wanting to do what God wants you to do. So that's number one. So we believe that Jesus is our Lord and we follow Jesus as our Lord, as he says in Luke 14, 26. And he gives some examples of that. If we want to follow Jesus as our Lord, then we need to love the Lord more than anyone else in our life. Now that's a hard saying for all of us, I'm sure. If you're a believer, Jesus must be your first love. More than your parents, more than your spouse, more than your children, more than your siblings, and even more than you love yourself. One of the things we told our children when they were younger, they maybe remember or not, is that you find somebody that loves Jesus more than they're going to love you. 
Because if you love Jesus more, they're going to do what's right. In, in marriage counseling, I always say that both the husband and wife, you follow the Lord, you focus on the Lord, and you're going to grow closer to each other. But if you focus on yourself first and not the Lord, you're going to get further away from each other. And so this is what Jesus is saying, is that you need to love me first before anything else. And that's hard, right? Could you, you know, especially as new parents, you have a new baby, and Jesus is saying that I need to, that you need to love me more than this little baby, or your spouse, or your mom, and your dad, and your sisters, and your brothers. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus say that? Because if we don't love the Lord more than anything else, we're going to be easily led astray. We're going to not always do what Christ wants us to do. We're going to be persuaded by other people to do what's in their best interest, or we think that's in their best interest, but we really need to do what God wants us to do because that's in their best interest. Right? Our hearts are apt to be led astray easily by people, and even by people that we love. So Christ saying, I want your allegiance to me first. If you're doing what you're called to, what I do for, what I want you to do, every other relationship will work out. And how many of you can attest to that? It's like, you know what? I didn't do what God wanted to do in this relationship, and now look where I'm at. It's messed up. That's why God says, do not be unequally yoked to non-believers. Right? They're going to cause you to fall away. Your heart's going to be divided and led astray. That's the other thing I keep talking about my kids that we tell them, don't be with a non-believer. You can be with anybody that's a believer. I don't care what they look like, where they're from, as long as they love Jesus first. But if you get involved with a non-believer, man, you're in, you're gonna, you're in for a world of hurt. You guys are going to be going separate ways constantly, wanting to do separate things. So we need to love the Lord more than anyone else in our lives. Going on with the text in, in Luke 14, Jesus doesn't stop there. So let's see, 14, verse 25, drop down to 27. He says this, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is he talking about there? Well, the cross in Roman times was a symbol of death. So basically saying if you can't carry your own death, you know, the, your, the, your, you know, sacrifice your own life for me, then you can't follow me. Because Jesus knew if you follow him, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be forsaken by the world you live in. And he's saying, you need to be prepared for that. How many of us today know that because I'm a Christian, I'm left out. I'm alone. People make fun of me. I'm ridiculed, ostracized. Because I follow Christ. That's going to happen. Thankfully in our world, not yet. We have yet, or at least in our society, we have yet to suffer physical persecution. But pick up a church history book and find out how many Christians died because they said they believed in Christ. Praise God, it has not happened in our society. And so this is Jesus' message to all these people that are wanting to follow him. He didn't say, hey, yeah, just come follow me. It's going to be great. It's going to be your best day ever. Didn't say that. Right? He told them, you need to love me more than anybody else. And you need to love me more than you love yourself. And you need to love me more than life itself. And you need to be prepared to die for me. This is what he's telling them. And he tells them to really think about this. It's not just a flippant decision that he wants them to make because he knows all these things are going to happen. Look at what he says in verse 28. After making these demands of them, he says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king to battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20? 
Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciples who do not give up all his own possessions. Which is going to be the next one. But Jesus said, you need to consider these things. This is what it means to follow me. A lot of us, right, have maybe never even heard that before in a gospel presentation, right? We just hear, come to Jesus. He's going to forgive your sins. He's going to make your life better. He's going to restore your relationships. And he can do all those things. But you need to know there's another side of being a follower of Christ. It's committing your life to him, making him your Lord and master. And guess what? You're going to be persecuted by people. You're going to be left out. but it's so much better following Christ, right? Because this was the game plan from the beginning. You need to have that relationship restored with Christ. So we need to love people more than our, or we need to love the Lord more than our own selves. And in verse 33, which I just read, we need to love the Lord more than our possessions. Again, look at verse 33. He says, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, so then, None of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. So does that mean we have to sell everything that we own and just follow Jesus and you know live and beg for our sustenance, our sustenance? No, that's not what he's meaning. Again, he's meaning that we need to love the Lord more than our own possessions. Right? We don't let possessions determine our loyalty to the Lord. If we're all about possessions, then our loyalty, our devotion is going to be split. We're going to let, as I said, we're going to let our possessions determine our loyalty to God. Well, I'll follow God as long as I have a job, as long as he gives me a wife, as long as he gives me a husband, as long as whatever it may be. Or we're afraid to follow Christ because of what we might lose in our life. It was Jesus who said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul. And I got, again, I ask each of you this morning, what does it profit you right now? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from following God because this is more important? Is it a relationship? Is it a possession? Is it being the master of your own destiny? Right? That's probably the biggest thing for most people is they don't want to follow God because they know they have to give up possession. They understand that they have to give up their life to the Lord, and He is their master. So believing Jesus is, is your Lord is, encompasses all those things, meaning that you belong to the Lord, you follow Jesus as your Lord, you love the Lord more than anything else in your life, you love the Lord more than your own life, and you love the Lord more than any of your possessions. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Believing Jesus as your Savior, believing Jesus is your Lord, and living a life blessed by God. That's the end result. Look at the last two verses of the text. Therefore, verse 34, Therefore salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, uh, Jesus has given the example of salt losing its saltiness because it's not used properly, right? If we are living for God properly, then we won't lose our saltiness, so to speak. We won't lose our blessings from God. Our peace with God is really what he's talking about because you're living rightly. You're going to be blessed rightly. You'll be at peace with the Lord. Your life will be enriched with his presence and his blessings. But you have to trust him. And not only that, you will be used for his glory. Again, salt isn't being used correctly here. That's the example. You yourself, if you're not living for God, you are not being used correctly. Sorry for, for lack of a better term. God has plans for you, a purpose for you, but unless you follow him, you will not be used for his glory. You will not be a witness of his glory that he set you apart to be in this life or to those around you. So I want to conclude with these last three points, or these last three challenges that I started off with. 
knowing all these things now and what it means to be a Christian, today I, I pray that some of you will acknowledge what God has done for you. And you will believe, repent, and turn to God. That's my prayer for some this morning who are hearing this. My other prayer, as I mentioned, was that you, that some of you this morning will remember all that God has done for you. That great exchange of God's life for yours. And as a result, you will praise Him for His love and His provision for you. And you will recommit to live for Him even more this year in 2021. And lastly, today, I pray that some of you will take comfort that God is your Lord and Savior. And you will remember that He is for you and He is with you no matter what happens. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your love towards us. And I thank You so much, Lord, for these truths that You lay out before us of what it means to be a believer what it means to live this Christian life. Lord, you never said it would be easy. You only promised it would be worth it. So I pray this morning for those who are challenged with the fact of giving their life to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to remove whatever it is in their life that keeps them from following you. And they would understand, Lord God, that you have a purpose in this life for them, that you created them for a purpose. And unless they believe that and repent of their sins and accept you as their Lord, that they would suffer the wrath of God by choosing not to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that. And for those of us, Lord God, who know you and who love you, I pray again that we are challenged this morning and reminded to follow you because of all that you've done for us and that we would recommit ourselves to you this year to follow you even more. And again, we would be reminded of all that you've done for us and we would praise you because of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.